0: All right, we're here in Romans chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses 13 to 25 uh, this morning. Focusing, actually, we're going to start at verse 14 down through verse uh, 25. Uh, I'm going to read that in a, in a couple of moments. There are certain statements we make to encourage and motivate, but they actually can be grossly inaccurate if taken literally. One of those statements, I think, is this statement that is regularly made. You can become anything you want to become. Well, we understand the, the goal of that and, and the positive affirmation of that, but you say that to a, a guy that's four foot eleven and his want to is to be an NBA center, he's going he's to find this didn't work out like he thought. It's unkind to say to a tone-deaf would-be singer. There's a commercial now with a football coach, and uh, it's the scene in the locker room pre-game, and he's with a, uh, a, a squad of guys that are mini-sized in stature, uh, obviously limited in, in proficiency, and they're going out, and apparently they're going out to play a. a a comparable New, New England Patriots squad, but he gives them the fiery talk in this commercial. He's talking to these guys, and, and he says, you can do anything you want to do. You can do this. You can do this. He gets all fired up, and these guys are, Aah! and they go flying out, and then they see the, the sequel after the game, and these guys are all sitting in the locker room. They've got ice packs, and they're on crutches, and they've got wraps, and, and they found out you can't do everything you want to do. You can't become everything you want to become. Most of us do not have the mental acumen to become a brain surgeon or a nuclear physicist. There's also a statement in the Christian life that is often stated, and it is done as an encouragement. It is done to motivate, but it can be if taken literally, it is grossly inaccurate. It's this statement God does not give you more than you can handle. Now, this statement is meant to encourage and motivate us to trust and obey God, and is beautiful in that. But I would suggest that in its raw statement, it is not true unless it has a qualifying, clarifying statement. And I'm going to come back to this at the very end of my sermon. But the fact is, God does give you things you can't handle, and it is a giant part of the Christian life that He does so. We're going to look at that as we look at Romans chapter 7, but I just want to give us some context here because we've been walking through this book in the last number of weeks. In Romans chapter 1 through 3, Paul is talking about entering the Christian life. How do we enter? And he says there's two ways to try to enter the Christian life. Two ways to try to to have a relationship with God, to, 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 to be acceptable to God into that relationship. And he says you can do it under law. And under law is basically saying that your validating performance record is what is measured. That is our default mode. We all, by nature, try to measure up and earn our way to God and hope we've done more good things than bad things or more good things than most other people, and we'll measure it. And he says, that's living under law. But then he says, nobody's going to actually qualify that way. There's another way of doing it, and he describes that as under grace. And this is where you come with someone else's validating performance record, that of Jesus Christ. You stand in his acceptance and righteousness. And he says that's actually the way that a person experiences an eternal relationship with God. That's how you enter the the relationship. But then he goes on in chapter 6 through 8, and he talks about living the Christian life. And in chapter 6, he's told us, you know, you died to the old way of life. You've now entered the Christian life, and now you can live it one of two ways. There are two ways you can live it. One, you can live it according to chapter 7, which is living by your resources, or you can live it by chapter 8, and that is living by someone else's resources. And Paul, here in chapter 7, is explaining how God does give you more than you can handle. And he does it as a grace, as a gift of grace. He does it as a means of driving you to do life as a Christian in the way he highlights in chapter 8. Chapter 7 is a chapter where Paul acknowledges his own frustration and confusion as he was trying to live the Christian life. That frustration is a real part of the process of growing as a Christian. And I'd like to read now what he has to say here, beginning at verse 14 and and following. And these are Paul's expression of his own struggle with living the Christian life. Verse 14 of Romans 7. We know that the law is spiritual, but I'm unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree, the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know the good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law or principle at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Lord, as we embark on this passage for these next few minutes, I pray that you would stretch us. God, help us to locate ourselves uh, in light of the things that are being presented here that we might more fully be sent to Christ, in whose name I pray, amen. This passage in Romans chapter 7 presents three truths about the process of spiritual growth that God uses in our lives. I almost called this sermon the process, Uh, but uh, not many of you know the Sixers, obviously, but but I restrain myself. But it does talk about the process God uses to grow us. It's a long process, and Paul is saying Romans 7 is a part of this long process. You see, When God wants to grow a turnip, it actually only takes 30 days from the moment it's planted to have it produced, 30 days God grows a turnip. But when God wants to grow a mighty oak tree, it can take a whole century, 100 years. God is in the business of growing oak trees in his children. And it's a process. It's a journey. And Romans chapter 7 is saying this is part of the journey of this long development of becoming an oak tree to the glory of God. So let's look at these three things that God talks about. And first we find in the new birth, God creates in you a desire to live righteously. This is found in a number of verses as Paul goes back and forth. This is not a chronological uh, discourse. He's just constantly covering the same data over and over, saying it different ways. But there are three salient truths that come out of this passage. And the first of those is that in the new birth, God creates a new desire to live righteously. That we agree that God's way is the best. Verse 16, Paul says it this way, I agree that the law is good. He says, I've come to this conviction. Now, this is a conviction that people don't have. Until they embrace Christ as Savior, basically he's saying, before you embrace Jesus as Savior, to some degree you found God's commandments limiting. Uh, to some degree, they take the fun out of life. They're restrictive. They they they're kind of overbearing, and especially when you really understand what they're saying, they, oh my goodness, he seems to speak into so many areas of life that just aren't that important. And, and but when you embrace Christ, you realize these things have a reason. They make sense. There's a boundary to life that that God's goal is joy. God's goal is contentment. God's goal is satisfaction. And that He wants me to live within these boundaries for the reason. And and, and Paul says, you know, when I came to know Christ, my, my, my perspective changed. I found the law to be good. Secondly, I have a desire to live God's way. Verse 18, he says, I have the desire to do what's good. Verse 21, for what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I don't want to do. Verse 21, I want to do good. Verse 22, in my inner being I delight in God's law. Paul, Peter talked about it this way, and he says how weird it is when people become Christians, how much they, they can change in their perspective. For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they're surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. He's saying, he's talking about their friends, and they say, they say what's gotten into you? I mean, why have you changed in, your, in, your, in, in what you embrace and want to give your life to? And he says, well, my desires have changed. Embracing Christ, I, I, I really do want to live life God's way. One of the beauties of baptisms, when we have our baptisms and our services, is people talk about, you know... I, this dramatic change that takes place inside of me when I receive Christ and I'm declaring that in my baptism and and many of them say, you know, people that I used to do life with just think, you're different. Um, Your your values, your desires, you, you seem to have a different orientation. Paul's saying, yeah, this is what happens. That there is an intrinsic change. This is the first season of the process of spiritual growth. God deepens your desire for godliness and makes changes in your heart and lifestyle out of a desire to know Jesus and live with Jesus. But then he says in chapter 7, there's a second stage or season that takes place. After the new birth, God orchestrates an environment where you see your limitations. This is really what Romans 7, verse 14 and 25 are about. God allowing these these circumstances where God does bring things that we are not able to handle and we see our limitations. And Paul says there are three things that stands out to me. He says, first of all, uh, we sense the want to of godly living, but not the can do. He says this in a variety of ways. Look what he says, verse 14, I'm unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Verse 18, I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. Verse 19, for what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. He says, even with the want to and and the desire that I have as I'm growing in, in, in in this Christian walk, I'm finding I have the want to, but I don't have the can do. Maybe you experience it. All of us do to some degree. Maybe you find that, yeah, there's a desire, but there's still besetting anger. It's controlling me. I still can't control my gossip. I still manipulate my relationships. I'm still in bondage to lust and pornography. As I look at the heart level, I'm still dominated by worry or envy or fear. And this can be extraordinarily frustrating on two levels. The first level is that our flesh says we should be able to do this. That we, and Paul talks in verse 18 about that, that, that he has within them, even though he's embraced Christ, he still has this thing called the flesh, which or a sinful nature as some versions have it. This orientation, this disposition that, that says, and basically it is the life of the self. It is, it, is, it is constantly declaring, I can do it, and I should be able to do it, and I will do it. I should be enough. I will be enough. We feel frustration. When we say, look, I, I want my anger to be, I know my anger is wrong. I can see how gossip is destroying. I, I can see how pornography is influencing. And I should be able to get rid of this. I mean, I'm, I, I should be able to conquer this thing. I have the want to. Why don't I have the can do? And Paul says, that's, that's where I am. That's what I'm struggling with. This, the second thing that, that makes it frustrating for us is, is we in the West really struggle with this. Because the modern West voice is, it worships the self above all things. That as individuals, we believe we're unique, creative. We can overcome anything. We're strong, we're resilient. We believe in the enduring power of the human spirit. And Paul talks about the limitations of that here in verses 14 to 25. It is striking that in verses 14 to 25, he uses the words, I, me, my, or myself, 42 times in those verses. It's all about us. It's all about what he's able to pull off. And he said, I'm frustrated that it can't pull us off. I'm a Christian. I'm I'm walking. I want to walk with Jesus. I've got the desire. But I don't find the can do. Secondly, he says, I feel at war with myself. Verse 15, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. In verse 21, when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Verse 22: For my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law, a principle at work in the members of my body, waging war against the principle of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. He said, "I feel this terrible conflict, and I still find myself driven by my fears, my coping behaviors, my self-centered habits." All of this he's saying, I'm I'm living in this, and I I have been living in this, and I have lived in this. And I came to a conclusion. And this is the third stage, if you will, of of what Romans 7 is saying happens in the Christian journey over time. As God is, is growing an oak, we come to a conclusion. And this is the conclusion. Verse 24. What... A wretched man I am. Now, the word wretched is not a particularly compelling and inviting term. I looked up a definition, and <laughs> here's the Free Dictionary's definition of wretched. A wretch is a person considered despicable, base, morally repugnant, a pitiably or deplorably unhappy or unfortunate person. I mean, we're going to put that on our sign out front of the church. We're going to put a banner up. Come to Jesus. Join us. You can become a pitiably, deplorably, unhappy, unfortunate person. Well, who, who wants that? Well, that's not what the word wretched actually means. That's what it means culturally. But the word wretched is actually a financial term. It is a term that means literally, we were measured and come up short. It is the word that we would translate bankrupt. It is the idea that I don't have the goods. I don't have the resources. It's only used one other time in the New Testament. It's used in Revelation 3. It's talking to a church called the Church of Laodicea who were very self-sufficient, confident in their self-sufficiency, and Jesus says this to them. You say, I'm rich, I've prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing you guys are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. He says, you're depending on, 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 on your own self-sufficiency. You don't realize you're bankrupt. You're, you're, you're actually without the resources needed. He's saying, you're in over your heads, and you're going to continue to, to fall Flat on your spiritual faces and your spiritual lives. Trusting in your own self-sufficiency. It's exactly what Paul had learned. Paul is saying, as I've watched, I, I have the want to. I don't have the can do. I don't know why I do these things when I don't want to do them. And he comes to this conclusion. I came to the conclusion, I am bankrupt. I am resourceless to do this and live this I've come to realize the Christian life is not difficult. It's impossible in my own strength. Last week, Mike had a great message in Romans 7, 7 to 13. It would be a great message to watch online if you weren't here. And in Pastor Mike's sermon, he talked about a secret handshake that he thought would be valuable for us to have here at FCC, which I loved, or a high five. And basically, the idea of it was that this secret handshake or high five is basically saying to each other, we're desperate for grace. We're broken people. And we agree on that. And, and that's, our, that's our, our message we're constantly declaring to each other. That's a, that's a high five Paul would embrace. He's saying, I'm, I'm bankrupt in myself. I'm desperate for what I'm going to find in Romans 8. I'm, I'm, I'm without resources. I have the desire I don't have the can-do in myself. The Christian life is impossible in ourselves. And one other thing Mike said that I really appreciated, he actually used a visual of these steps, and I told him this. It was my favorite part of his sermon, this visual of how the Lord takes us going down the steps and, and makes us process inwardly with questions deeper and deeper. But where it takes us is it brings us to a place where we look inside enough that we see, I'm bankrupt. I I see what's driving my heart. It causes me to see the Lord does that. God allows things in your life as a Christian that help you see that state in order that you can be brought to what He found out in verse 25 and into chapter eight, and here's what he says in verse 25, 24 and 25, he says, "What a wretched man I am. Who'll rescue me from this body that is subject to the death, to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord." The whole message of the Christian life is that it is a life of union with God that the life of the flesh is the life of self-sufficiency and individualism. It argues for a life of separateness and disconnection. But you are not created to live the Christian life on your own. But just like you try to be adequate in all realms of your life, you try to be adequate in your spiritual life, but you are not. And Paul argues with us that failure is one of God's primary means of spiritual growth. Romans 7 is the story of failure. It is the story of trying to live, and we all naturally do it, and we all default back to it regularly. Try, I'll take it from here, God. I'll do it. I can. I, well, yeah, I can do this much. I can live the Christian life in my own strength. Here, whether we consciously or unconsciously do that, we jump between Romans 7 and 8. But Paul says, when I'm living my life in Romans 7, The message that I need to see is my failure is a reminder that I am not wired or created to live this on my own. That the incredible message he presents to us as the hope of Romans 7 is found in verse 24. Thanks be to God that even though I'm bankrupt myself, I live through and with Jesus Christ our Lord. It is why for every Christian... Every one Christian that thrives spiritually in prosperity, there are 10 that thrive in adversity. Because adversity reminds us we are dependent. We are insufficient. We have lacks. We are bankrupt. We don't have the resources. And when you are most qualified to live victoriously in Christ is when you are most aware of your deficiencies and lacks, when you least feel adequate this is the, because you are most prone to lean into the one that can live that life through you, this is the upside down nature of the Christian life. It is what Paul discovered where he found that when he was weakest and most conscious of his weakness, he tended to find his most strength in Christ because that was when he leaned into him. Second Corinthians 12, Paul's asking God to remove some some hard things in his life. And the Lord said, My grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I'll boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then, I'm content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. That doesn't mean he was strong other times, and this was the only time he was weak. He says, but these things help remind me. They they give clarity. I mean, they, they let me see what's real, that I'm bankrupt apart from what God is offering me through Christ. There's an illustration that I want to use and try to wrap all this. It's in the Old Testament, story of a guy named Moses, and Moses had been... I don't know if you know Moses' background. Moses' background was he was actually raised in the household of Pharaoh, the biggest mucky-muck in the world at that time. And he was raised in his household. He had all the privileges of, of uh, Egyptian education. He was actually, according to ancient uh, traditions and, and records we have today, Moses is listed as being a military general in the Egyptian army. Uh, Josephus, in the Roman era, actually says that uh, that, that Moses in Egypt was a general and victorious in some Egyptian battles. I mean, this was not a nobody in Egypt. This is a guy. This is, this is a warrior. And the Lord comes to Moses and he says uh, in, in Exodus chapter 3, he says to him, Moses, I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. And here's Moses' response. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Now, we might expect at that moment that somebody should come up alongside of the side of of Moses and say, who are you? Come on, man. You're a general. You're the leader. I mean, you're raised in Pharaoh's household. You're going back to a guy you know. I mean, who would be better than you? Who has been more prepared for this than you? God has done all these things. You're the guy. This is the moment. This is your call. God has given you everything you need. And that God would just respond to Moses where Moses says, Oh, who am I? That God would say, Moses, you can do this, buddy. I mean, all you've got to do is believe in yourself. I know exactly who you are, and I have appointed you to this. And I never give anyone anything he can't handle. That's not what God said to Moses. Moses said, who am I? And here's what God said, very next verse. I will certainly be with you. That's all God said. I will certainly be with you. He's saying this to him. Moses, it doesn't matter who you are. Whether you're a warrior or a leader, whether you're a handmaid in a a lowly hovel in the the, the people of Israel, it doesn't matter who you are because I will be with you you he doesn't give him a pep talk he doesn't give him a pregame speech he just says i will be with you i will be with you is not just a promise god makes to his children i will be with you is the promise it is the promise of the ages it is the promise of the whole christian experience it is both the rationale and the goal of God's rescue mission. He came to save us not only from our sin, but from our self sufficiency. Now, some of you are struggling right now. Some of you have been hammered with life. Some of you are experiencing failure, difficulty, weakness in your relationships, in your habits. In your interior life, I would plead with you, don't waste the moments of failure, of weakness, of brokenness. Don't waste the season where God has you helpless and feeling inadequate. You're tempted to respond one of two ways. One is to respond and blow it off. I can lick this. I can do it. I I just need to be more disciplined. I, I, I I, I need to... Add more to my life, I, I, I can make myself happier if I just build in these things again. If I just get more organized, I can overcome these issues in my life, or maybe you'll, you'll compare yourself with someone else and say, "After all, I could be them," or, or you know, actually, my wife's more of the issue than I am or my husband area you know what did it, or, And you sort of blow it off that sense of I'm bankrupt and I'm struggling, and I, I don't have enough or. You can respond this way with absolute despair. You can be morose, you can be depressed, you can be angry, you can be frustrated. Or you can realize what Paul is saying to us in Romans 7. God does give you more than you can handle. He does. But he doesn't do it to leave you in Romans 7. He does it to drive you to the realities of Romans 8. That this is not about your resources. This is not about your capacities. This is about your seeing you are bankrupt. But there is one that is willing to live life with you, in you, and through you. Now, our struggle is, we go back and forth with Romans 7 and 8. We'll probably do it today. Maybe we'll become convinced, yeah, it's living with Jesus, it's walking in Jesus, depending on Jesus, and, and then we're going to find a situation, and we're going we're to try to make it about us, or we're going to not be willing to really acknowledge the desperateness of our circumstance. But the reality Paul is saying to us is that as God is growing the oak, More and more, we are coming to see it's not about me, it's about Christ, it's not about my sufficiency, it's about my insufficiency basking in the sufficiencies of this promise. I will be with you. That the whole Christian experience is a life of union, not separateness, not self sufficiency, not independence that we are, we're desperate, we're broken, we're needy, we're bankrupt, God be glorified because the victory is found in Christ who lives His life in us and through us. I mentioned at the beginning of this message, I would come back to the phrase that I started with and try to clarify how our original statement can be a true one. God does give you more than you can handle. It's true. But never more than he can handle in you. That is the most dramatically significant statement that I can make in this whole sermon. It's this. God does allow things and bring things into your life that are more than you can handle in your strength. And you're going to find the despair of trying to live in your own strength in Romans 7. It's a gifting of God. But there is never anything He'll bring that is more than He can handle within you. Romans 7 is the life of dependence. It is the life of broken, bankrupt people embracing. And Paul is saying, in this journey of life, I'm learning to become more and more a Romans 8 Christian. I still flip back and forth. We do, I do, you do. But he says, I found there is a new way of living, and it's the Christ way. It is the spirit centered way. It's the life of bankrupt people drinking in and living in the union of the sufficient Christ. Let's pray. Lord, these are such, in some ways, simple truths stated simply, and yet have the potential for such life change. God, thank you for failures in our lives. Thanks right now for all the things in this room and all the people that are listening online are experiencing that are overwhelming them. Every one of those has been allowed as a grace to drive us more to live in the reality of Romans 8. That there will still be hardship, that life will still be challenging and hard, But there is an entire different way of living when we are living as bankrupt people embracing the sufficiency of Christ. Lord, lead us to that end, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now go in peace to love and serve. Enjoy the Lord.